Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. The Bills are on a winning streak. Four games in a row, to be exact. And it kind of feels normal. You just kind of got used to it. I fully expect them to drop some game at some point between now and the end of the year, in which case... The world will, of course, be on fire. But until that happens, we're going to keep coasting, and it's going to be a good time here on the Bruce Exclusive. We have a lot to get into today. We're going to do QB stew. We're going to do trade deadline stuff. We're going to do Bill's Packers stuff. We got a lot of stuff to get into. But first, in regards to Bill's Packers, I'm going to tell you a story. You may have noticed, if you follow me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive, that my wife and I had little humans visiting us for the weekend. Little humans who we are fond of, who came up to stay with Mr. and Mrs. Nolan. And because of that, and because of the need to make sure that these little humans are entertained and spend meaningful time with them and make memories and do all the things that you do with little humans... My wife and I really didn't get a chance to connect much this weekend. We didn't get a chance to sit down and have a conversation. Historically, every single weeknight, we will put the phones away. We will sit down across the dinner table from each other and we will talk during our meal. We will spend that time connecting. We might watch a show together. Other things that we can do to connect. And because our attention was diverted elsewhere... We really didn't get a chance to connect very much over the weekend. So on Monday, for trick-or-treating, we decided that we would sit on the porch together without our phones, alone, with a bowl of candy, and hand out the candy to the trick-or-treaters as they would come to our house. Giving us essentially between an hour, two hours, depending on how long it stayed light and everyone came around, of uninterrupted time to chat and connect together. You might think that was weird 
because it really, it was only Friday night and Saturday night when we were unable to connect because the kids went home. The little humans were gone from the Nolan residence on Sunday mid-morning. Oh, Bruce, it's only, it's only two nights. You might think I'm being crazy. But there's a message behind here. Whether or not something is good or bad in its presence or lack of presence is based entirely on whether or not you care about it. If you don't really care that you didn't get a chance to talk one-on-one with your wife for two nights, then it doesn't really matter if it happened or not. You can look as a third party to our weekend and go, oh, that just looks like every other weekend. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it matters to us. So whether or not we connected being a good thing or a bad thing is based entirely on whether or not we care about it. Because if we don't care about it, then it doesn't really matter that we didn't do it. If neither one of us gives a rat's rump whether or not we actually connected, then does it matter that we didn't do it? No. It only matters if it's something we care about. Let's talk about run defense. The tackling matters. We've talked about this a little bit on this pod. I talked about it when I was on with Joe Marino on the bye week. Locked on Bills. And the tackling has reared its ugly head again for the Buffalo Bills defense. And it matters. But the overall yardage really doesn't that much. The average amount of defenders that the Buffalo Bills had in the box in the first half against the Green Bay Packers, 6.0. The average amount of defenders that the Buffalo Bills had in the box against the Green Bay Packers in the second half, 6.1. The Bills didn't care if they ran it even after they found out that it was a plan. So Vaughn Miller flat out said, we were surprised that they ran the ball that much. They were shocked. So they were shocked that they did it. They were shocked that they continued to do it. And then they still didn't care. They elected not to care. I know this because they didn't put any defenders in the box. Let's contrast that with Derrick Henry and the Titans against the Houston Texans. Derrick Henry ran for 118 yards on 18 runs against heavy boxes. Heavy boxes defined here as eight or more defenders in the box. That was the most yardage against a stacked box since 2020 when the last guy to do it was, stop me if you heard this before, Derrick Henry against the Texans. Whether or not stopping something matters is based heavily on whether or not you were trying to stop it. The Bills were completely content to let Aaron Jones rip off five and a half, six yards of carry. They were fine with it because they had every bit of confidence that it wasn't going to be enough. So I've heard the rumblings, pun intended, about the run defense for the Buffalo Bills. And the tackling part matters because there are no attempted tackles where the goal was not to tackle the guy. So missed tackles are never something that can be excused away because at no point did you attempt to tackle him and go, ha ha, <laughs> joke's on you, didn't really want to tackle you anyway. That's not true. But based on box alignment, 
were the Bills really trying that hard to stop the run? There is a line of thinking in the NFL right now that defenses want to encourage you to run because even a good, solid, above-average run is still less efficient than an average pass. They're going to purposely leave it light and go, just go ahead, run, do it. Because one negative play, and now you're out of your script anyway. One holding penalty, you're toast. You're too far behind now. Good luck having three runs that get you out of first and 20. Not super common. So even after the Buffalo Bills saw that they were going to get run on, and even after they continued to see that and were surprised, they still didn't stop because they said, okay, it was a pleasant surprise for the Buffalo Bills that the Green Bay Packers continued to run and they continued to allow them. So I will care about the tackling because you need to care about the tackling and we'll continue to pound the table about tackling. But the Buffalo Bills really weren't putting the bodies in the box that they needed to to convince me that they were really trying hard to push the Green Bay Packers out of that game plan. So the trade deadline happened and the Buffalo Bills made two moves. They traded running back Zach Moss and a sixth round pick to Indianapolis for running back Naheem Hines and also traded a seventh round pick to the Atlanta Falcons for our good old friend, Dean Marlowe. And I'm completely fine with both these moves. In fact, I made a statement on Twitter that caused a little bit of buzz about the NFL trade deadline that I would like to elaborate on right here. And what I said was that there were only two trades consummated at the NFL trade deadline that I would have done if I was the Buffalo Bills GM. And both of them were done by the Buffalo Bills. And I know that that sounds crazy. But let me go through the trades here. For those of you who are thinking that you would like the Buffalo Bills to have done more at the trade deadline, let me go through every single trade that was made this year at the deadline or around that season. And you can tell me which ones you would have done if you were the Buffalo Bills and see if you disagree with me. First off, Christian McCaffrey for a two, three, four, five. Wouldn't have done it. Essentially a, a low one for that. Roquan Smith for AJ Klein, a two and a five. Do we have a linebacker issue on this team? No, I'm good. Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb and a five for Chase Edmonds, a first and a fourth. Would you have given Zach Moss a one and a four for Bradley Chubb and a five? Knowing that you have to sign him to a significant deal, you just signed Von Miller to a big one, Gregory Rousseau has been amazing this year, and you've got a stock and gaggle of pass rushers behind him? I wouldn't have. Chase Claypool for a two? No, absolutely not. How about TJ Hawkinson, a four and a conditional four, for a two and a three? Just gave Dawson Knox a bunch of money? That's a no. Robert Quinn for a four. See also my Bradley Chubb plus Robert Quinn hasn't been that good this year. Nope. How about Calvin Ridley for 
one of my favorite trades in the entire NFL, maybe ever, is the Calvin Ridley deal. Because the conditions are riotous. It's a 2023-5, and then a 2024 pick that could be a 4, a 3, or a 2. Based on him being rostered, it'd be a 4. Him being rostered and hitting incentives, it'd be a 3. Him being rostered and signing extension, it would be a 2. I love that. It's incredibly creative. Love it. Don't love it for the Bills. You don't need it. I'm going to spend a, a 5 and a 2 on... Calvin Ridley, who I then have to sign to a gigantic deal. We just signed Stephon Diggs to one. Kadarius Toney for a three and a six. Most of Bill's Mafia was poo-pooing that deal. I wouldn't have done it. I respect the Chiefs situation, and I think I would have done it if I'm the Chiefs. And that's important. If I was these teams, would I have done it? A lot of them, yes. If I was the Bills, would I have done them? So far, the answer is no to all of them. We already know about the Naheem Hines trade, the Jeff Wilson trade. Jeff Wilson for a five. I probably would have done that one, but I'd rather have Naheem Hines for Zach Moss in a sixth. So I wouldn't have done both, clearly. James Robinson for a 2023 conditional sixth. I like James Robinson, but I'm not taking your running back coming off an Achilles injury. Absolutely not. Robbie Anderson for a six and a seven. Nope, I'm out. Deion Jones and a seven for a sixth? No, I'm fine. Well, you're not going to play him. Edmonds, Milano, that's about it for linebackers. William Jackson. How about William Jackson and a seven for a sixth? He's a pure man corner. The Buffalo Bills have been able to mix in some man, but they're still a primarily zone team. It's not the right fit. So that's a no. Jonathan Hankins and a seventh for a sixth? The defensive tackles have been fantastic for the Buffalo Bills. Daquan Jones has been a stud and one of the players I'm consistently praising on this podcast. How about Jacob Martin? Jacob Martin at a five for a four. Again, I don't really need a fourth pass rusher right now. Rashad Fenton for a seventh. Cornerback depth is the strength of this team right now. After many, many, many years of me complaining that it's not. That's it. Those are all the trades. Which one of those trades would you have preferred the Bills do? Any of them? The only two that I really like are the ones the Buffalo Bills did, at least for the Bills. I like those trades for those teams, but those teams aren't in the same position that the Bills are. Well, Bruce, I wanted them to trade X for Y. Well, you don't know that was possible. You can create hypothetical trades to get mad about not happening, but we don't know what the prices were on the players who weren't traded. And if you say, I don't care the price, then you're not being aggressive, you're being reckless. So if you are one of the do more Buffalo crowd, be aggressive. They signed a 33-year-old pass rusher to a six-year, $120 million contract and have almost no cap space. That's very aggressive. The crowd was getting very restless. In the offseason, the first day of free agency, right before Von Miller got signed, they were getting very restless. And then all of a sudden, Von Miller to the Bills. That was the tweet from Ian Rappaport. Von Miller to the Bills. 
And everyone got excited. And now here we are at six and one, and you're still not happy. You still want more aggression. For who? Well, I wanted us to trade a, a three for Kareem Hunt. Do you know Kareem Hunt was available for a three? He didn't get traded for a three. Well, the rumor was he was available for a four. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but no one gave a four for him. So you're just creating a hypothetical to then get mad about. Well, I wanted some offensive line depth. I wanted some offensive line depth too, but no offensive lineman got traded. Zero. You know why? Because everybody wants offensive line depth. And even the teams who are sellers are not sellers of offensive line depth. That should tell you the current status of offensive line depth around the league. Even the people who are selling are not selling that. Why? Because it's too hard. It's too hard to get good offensive linemen. Not every team has five good offensive linemen. Most teams don't have three good offensive linemen. So they're not giving it up. And if you think perhaps that I'm saying this because I'm a gigantic homer, number one, I question whether or not you listen to this podcast ever before. But number two, I've openly said before that there are trades that I would have made. In 2020, Desmond King got traded for a sixth. And I said, I would have done that in a split second. I have proof. I'm completely comfortable saying you could have offered a five and gotten Desmond King. Why? Because he got traded for a six. So I'm completely fine saying that. I have receipts that I wanted quarterback depth. Now, we don't need it as much this year as we did in 2020 because that was back when I was still screaming about it. But none of these trades I would have made. Which one of these would you have made? If you're one of those, I want the Bills to do more. Which one? Do you want the Tony trade? Do you want the Claypool trade? I don't want any of them. So I'm completely satisfied with what it is that the Buffalo Bills did the trade deadline. They solved the issue that clearly they had been hunting to solve for a long time when they tried to get J.D. McKissick. Then they ended up getting James Cook. He's not ready for that role quite yet, perhaps. So we get a veteran in here, Naheem Hines, who I like better than J.D. McKissick anyway. Now he's more expensive than J.D. McKissick from a contract standpoint. But I'd rather have him for a sixth than Jeff Wilson for a five. That's for sure. He fits the mold. I'm completely fine with that. And I'm completely fine with the moves and non-moves that happened at the trade deadline for the Buffalo Bills. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Talked Bills Packers run defense. Talked trade deadline. Now we're talking QB Stew. For those of you who do not know, QB Stew is a proprietary composite that I created, lumping together the following holistic Quarterback metrics, QBR, passer rating, average net yards per attempt, EPA per play, DVOA, PFF grade, and CPOE, completion percentage over expected from NFL next-gen stats. I average out the rankings for each one of these places, and they become the stew. The attempt is to decouple ourselves from the idea that one holistic quarterback rating is the best. 
because that's what we do. We say, well, my guy is number five in QBR. Well, my guy is number one in CPOE. You use whatever it is services your argument because you're being intellectually dishonest from the beginning. That's why. You'll use whatever metric, you know, the statement is, I can make the numbers look like whatever I want to. No, but I can pick whatever metric suits my argument and dismiss the other ones. But in the name of being intellectually honest, we're not going to do that. We're going to take all of them together and see what comes out the other side. We're going to start from the top. Number one, post week eight, QB stew. Miami Dolphins quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa. Number one in QBR, number one in passer rating, number one in average nut yards per attempt, number one in EPA per play, number one in DVOA, number three in PFF grade, and number three in CPOE with a stew of 1.57. Very, very, very good. The last two NFL MVPs had a QB stew in this range. Now, the rub with Tua this year is always going to be sample size. Because he's missed time this year due to concussion protocol. And he put up really good games against lower tier defenses. But remember, DVOA, which is adjusted for defense, lends credence to the idea that he is indeed playing as well as it looks. We will see if he keeps it up over the course of the year. But he's been everything so far that Finn's faithful could have hoped he'd be entering the season. Number two, Patrick Mahomes. Number three, Geno Smith, yes, still good. Number four, Josh Allen. QBR, second, fourth in passer rating, second in average net yards per attempt, third in EPA per play, fourth in DVOA, first in PFF grade, and 18th in CPOE. That's right, the CPOE is what's dragging him down. Usually, this is something that you typically see from Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes historically has a lower CPOE, and the reason that is, is typically because he's throwing to open receivers. So as a general rule, if you see a gigantic gap between the remainder of the metrics and the CPOE metric, it's usually because they're getting assistance from the scheme. I don't view this as being an overly bad thing. Like I said, for many years, Patrick Mahomes was top three in everything else, and then the CPOE was lower. Because he was throwing to open receivers. Because Andy Reid and Tyreek Hill were helping him there. So Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen throwing to open receivers. That's awesome. That doesn't mean that everything's bad. But it can help you qualify the numbers you're looking at. He's played really well. He's an MVP candidate. Post week eight, we got a long way to go. There's a lot of football to be played. But unsurprisingly, he's played very, very well. Overall, five, Jalen Hurts, sixth, Andy Dalton, sixth, that's right, 14th in QBR, eighth in passer rating, seventh in average net yards per attempt, ninth in EPA per play, 14th in DVOA, sixth in PFF grade, seventh in CPOE. That's right, Andy Dalton has played well for the Saints. Seventh, Joe Burrow, eighth, Lamar Jackson, ninth, Marcus Mariota, 10th, Jacoby Brissett, 11th, Jimmy Garoppolo. 12th, Justin Herbert. 13th, Tom Brady. Seeing Brady in the middle of the pack is weird. 14th, Jared Goff. 15th, Derek Carr. 16th, Ryan Tannehill. 17th, Kirk Cousins. 18th, Aaron Rodgers. 19th, Daniel Jones. 20th, Kyler Murray. 21st, Trevor Lawrence. 22nd, 
Matthew Stafford, 23rd, Cooper Rush, 24th, Matt Ryan, 25th, Russell Wilson, 26th, Kenny Pickett, 27th, Justin Fields, 28th, Carson Wentz, 29th, Davis Mills, 30th, Zach Wilson, 31st, Mac Jones, 32nd, Joe Flacco, 33rd, Baker Mayfield. These are all the quarterbacks who have 150 dropbacks in 2022. And because of the way that the New York Jets have been, both Flacco and Zach Wilson are allowed to show up on this list. That's why there's 33 quarterbacks. A couple other observations. Marcus Mariota jumped up pretty high. He was 21st post-week four in quarterbacks too. Now he's ninth, mostly because of QBR and EPA per play. Now, what do we know about QBR and EPA per play? We know that they are heavily weighted towards rushing. So obviously the rushing ability is pulling up the other results, which are perfectly reasonable otherwise. The issue for Mariota is different than that from Tua. For Tua, it's sample size. For Mariota, it's volume. He's attempted only 22.25 passes per game in 2022. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's, he's efficient with his legs and with his arm, but he isn't being asked to do much. They're not throwing the ball a lot. So efficient, yes. Impactful, a little bit less so. The Cooper Rush thing, that was always nonsense. Cooper Rush, Dak Prescott, is Dak Prescott getting his job back? It was entirely media fabricated. Cooper Rush played his role perfectly fine. After week four, he was number 10 in the QB Stew rankings. Flash forward now, and he's 23rd. Just ahead of the benched Indianapolis quarterback, Matt Ryan. If you'll notice, there's kind of a line here. The line is right about number 22. Right below Stafford, right above Rush. Everyone who's been... 23 or below is either clearly a backup quarterback or there are some serious, serious questions about them. Doubts are starting to creep in about Trevor Lawrence, who's at 21st. And people, I actually saw someone make an argument that Daniel Jones has turned the corner and you should sign him to an extension. He's at 19th. So it's almost like the cutoff for, okay, we're really worried right now, is between 22 and 23 right now, between Matthew Stafford and Cooper Rush. Either someone below that is either really on the hot seat or you already knew that they weren't going to be meaningful, like Cooper Rush, Joe Flacco, most people who were intelligent about Baker Mayfield, things like that. Or they're rookies, like Kenny Pickett. But Russell Wilson's at 25. A lot of people are very concerned about Russell Wilson. So it seems like that's the line. One of my other biggest takeaways was that Jacoby Brissett in Kevin Stefanski's offense is 10th in QB stew. I really think it was a Baker Mayfield problem. I know that Amari Cooper helps, and if Baker Mayfield had Amari Cooper, he'd probably do a little bit better than he did in Cleveland. But he's got DJ Moore now, and he is at the bottom. So I think that the opportunities Baker Mayfield is going to have to be a preferred starting quarterback in the NFL moving forward are essentially over. We're going to finish it off with a couple emails. Evan has a New Jersey Jets almighty take. Here's my almighty take, Bruce. Josh is in an effort to correct his mistakes on the Green Bay game, conducts a fire sale on checkdowns. Luckily, this isn't the Trent Edwards era, 
and Josh Allen utilizes new backfield yak machine that Brandon Bean and Ken Dorsey have gotten him and throws touchdowns to Singletary, Cook, and Hines. Diggs also gets his usual touchdown and eight receptions for between 80 and 110 yards. The entire Bills secondary gets takeaway, with Elam doing his best Peanut Tillman impersonation with Taron Johnson recovering the punch-out fumble. Bills win 35-10 to after making some weird hiccups that do allow the Jets to score 10 points in the fourth quarter. I do think you will see a fairly risk-adverse Josh Allen this week because Sauce Gardner is getting a lot of hype and he made a couple reckless throws that caused him to get intercepted. So I think that you see the pendulum swing the opposite way. So I agree in principle. Andrew says, Bruce, I am going to attempt to preempt what I can only assume will be a pod topic for the coming offseason, and it will rear its ugly head again every year until the inevitable heat death of the universe. Here goes. We, as Bills fans, have been absolutely spoiled by the consistent all-pro caliber play the team has gotten from the safety position over the last five seasons. Therefore, the fan base needs to honestly prepare itself for the moment where this will no longer be the case. It's not if, but when, and it's sooner than some of y'all want to believe. So what to do? Adjust your expectations and learn to recognize that it's not all pro or bust. A safety doesn't suck because he doesn't play like Micah Hyde. They could be above average. Good. Heck, they could even be very good. And you know what? With Josh Allen as the quarterback, a very good safety tandem is just fine. The problem is, if the safeties are not doing poor and high-level things on a regular basis, some folks will think that they're just plain terrible. And I fear that this is going to stain the thinking of an entire generation of fans for a long time. For the sake of your fandom and Bruce's sanity, Bill's Mafia, please don't let that happen. Andy, you are preaching to the choir, my friend. 100%. We are absolutely spoiled. Now, thankfully, we've been talking about this on this podcast, about how good specifically Micah Hyde, but also Jordan Poyer are and how it's not going to last forever. But Sean McDermott has had really good defenses without all pro safeties in the past. But I saw way more anti-Demar Hamlin comments this week than I really should have. I went back and I watched DeMar Hamlin. Oh man, he got cooked by Aaron Rodgers. Do you know, as a single high safety on a multiple break route, how difficult that task is to cover a guy when he's got a two-way go coming directly at you and Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback? There's not a lot of safeties in the world that are going to cover that well. It's just not a thing. Well... Bruce, you're you're spoiled. Andy's right, you're spoiled. A mistake doesn't change the body of work. We did this with Sean McDermott and the Kansas City Chiefs game. Oh, he made it. He made a mistake in the biggest game. Okay, yes, he did. I don't just throw out the baby with the bathwater. I'm pretty sure we talked about the origination of the term phrase, throw out the baby with the bathwater. At some point, we probably did on this show. Because that seems like something we would have gone through. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to accept the fact that you can't have an all-pro at every single position. And we are spoiled, and we're going to get a very hard lesson at some point. And it might be coming sooner rather than later. David says, I am mostly in on don't pay running backs. 
but I think the Heinz trade is a useful isolate the variable test. As you know, the theory is that it takes investment into the line to produce a good running team, and a lot of good running backs can prosper with a good line. Well, we've been trying to improve the running game through the line and have a good running back in Singletary. We're now making one change, another quality running back, i.e. one variable. What if Heinz balls out? Suppose there is a non-trivial improvement in our running game. At what point do you start having to say, yes, it was all about having the right running back? This is really important. Nobody ever said you don't want to have a good running back. No one said you don't want to have the right running back. What was said was a significant investment is not necessary to acquire it. Right running backs, good running backs, the best running backs, they can all be acquired without significant expenditure. In fact, if Naheem Hines comes and balls out, that would be further proof that that's the case. Because the Bills got him for a sixth round pick. And he was initially acquired by the Colts in the fourth round. So if that's true, it's just another chalk on the board saying, yes, it is about having the right running back. No one's saying it's not. They're saying that you don't have to spend significant resources to get them. Every year, there are James Robinsons and Donta Foremans over and over and over again that go, wow, they're, they're really good. Yeah, you don't have to invest significant resources to get them. Not that you don't want good players. You absolutely want good players. You just don't have to spend big money to get them. You don't have to spend big capital to get them. So if you don't have to, but you kind of do have to to get good quarterbacks, you kind of do have to to get good other positions. We talked over and over and over again that the best pass rushers are taken in the first round. There's not a lot of really, really good fourth round pass rushers. That's where you should be taking them. If you can get meaningful examples of good running backs later, then you should. Why? Because you can't do that with every other position and you have limited assets. So you should spend the assets in the place where they are most likely to get you positive return. And if you don't have to spend significant assets to get a meaningful running back, then you shouldn't need to. Add it on to the fact that you know, running backs in general, shorter self-life, all this stuff, all the stuff we've been through a million times before. So yeah, I think there's a possibility that Naheem Hines could be a good runner for the Buffalo Bills. And if he is a good runner for the Buffalo Bills, and I don't think that's going to be his primary role for this team, but if he is, that's further credence. Draft in the fourth round, acquired for a sixth round pick, that you don't have to spend meaningful assets. Well, folks, we did it. We did the thing. Trade deadline, Run defense, QB stew, emails, did all the things. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you were one of the people who really wanted the Bills to do more and you were not happy with my take on the trade deadline, well, sorry, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. Buffalo Rumblings.